and that we stand for be preserved under the providence of God for the happiness of mankind. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machines. But it is the values of individual liberty, equality before the law and the supremacy of people over the state to which we can always with confidence return as a powerful and uniting force. Australia is not a secular country, it is a free country. Well, good evening. It's a wonderful day to be Australian. That is, of course, unless you're locked down and deprived of all freedom in New South Wales, about to be locked down and deprived of all freedom in Victoria, or a Christian and disagree with the government in Western Australia. In that case, the government will use its assets to punish you, censor you, and make sure that you are treated as a pariah and somebody who goes against the uh, good society kind of policy that you'd likely to see with the Chinese government. Yes, uh, if you disagree with the government in Perth, they reserve the right to refuse you uh, permission to use the publicly owned entertainment venues. That's right. They're not government owned. They're not Mark McGowan's private personal plaything, but his government will reserve the right to make sure that as few people as possible can hear you, your message and your political opinions if you disagree with their political opinions. And of course, this is all at the beckoning and demands of a very noisy, shrill minority of LGBTIQAPX plus activists who like to whinge about anybody who disagrees with them and mischaracterize, misrepresent and defame those dissenters as uh, just hateful, nasty, horrible people, intolerant and bigoted, which is ironic coming from them, the people trying to silence, censor and deplatform anybody who disagrees with their ideas. They can't actually engage with the substance of the, of the debate. They can't actually engage with what the people who dissent with their ideas actually say. They have to create strawming debates about personal hate, which is a complete fabrication of their imagination. They are the haters. They are the bigots. And they are the tin pot dictators who insist that there is no room in democracy for a conversation which disagrees with their ideas and they mischaracterize that debate so you can't even engage them with it. They're just going to give you the cold shoulder and treat you like a Chinese dictator treats anybody who disagrees with their authoritarianism. Of course, this is against the Human Rights Acts of Perth, of WA, and uh, their anti-discrimination laws, and I look forward to this going all the way. What's really important is for West Australian citizens right now in the right areas, not for people outside those areas, but for people who uh, are in the electorates of the relevant decision makers to actually call up and complain and say, this is just not on. It's not Australian. It's not democratic. Uh, we need a free and fair debate. And the government should not be allowed to use public assets to deplatform people who disagree with the government. I mean, come on, this is so ridiculous. What next? Are they gonna ban the Liberal Party? Does the Labor Party get to ban the Liberal Party because the Liberal Party doesn't agree with the government's opinions? This is just ridiculous. We're heading into a one party dictatorship in Western Australia. It's incredibly comparable, accurately, and equivalent to the Chinese dictatorship. It's a one party regime where you're not allowed to have a different view to the government. And could the majority of the West Australians, the, gov the government is presuming to uh, comment and, and reflect on, on what the values of West Australians are on established, settled standards in Western civilization for millennia now. Uh, but they're, they're presuming to be able to say that the, the West Australian population uh, disagrees with the ACL and therefore the ACL should not expect any platform. Has there ever been a population in history which have, as a majority, got it wrong? Uh, like England in the 18th century. Uh, 
uh, in the 17th century. You, you know, it, it was a, once upon a time that the Church of England and all of the English parliamentarians were deeply invested in the slave trade. But the, the view of the government and the view of the majority of Englishmen was that the slave trade and industry was fantastic. It was the status quo. And how dare you? Well, in Mark McGowan's West Australian government, uh, those people who disagreed with slavery would have been banned from using public venues. The shame of it, absolute piracy in that parliament, nothing even remotely resembling democracy and liberty. Shame on you, Mark McGowan. It's time you come back from your holiday and man up, apologise for the, the stuff-ups of your public servants, the policy made on the run. Let's have the transparency that you said you would have when you formed government and, and actually show us the legal advice you got, which says you're not breaking the law. Well, for further comment, I was joined today by Nick Goyran, MLC, member of the Legislative Council, the Upper House in Western Australia, and he is the Shadow Attorney General. Now, he pointed out some very interesting things about the McGowan government's track record in court with illegal behaviour. Let's have a chat with Nick Goyran now, recorded earlier today. MP, thank you so much for joining Pello Talk tonight. How are you? Uh, great. Great to be in Western Australia and thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Dave. My pleasure. And look, we've had, uh, as you heard in the introduction, some uh, rather upsetting decisions uh, from the Labor government in Western Australia, uh, effectively censoring a vast majority of political opinions um, in, in the state. Uh, tell me, what's your take? What are the issues at stake here for the McGowan government? Look, it's a very dangerous uh, episode that has unfolded this week in Western Australia. Uh, but more so, uh, what has occurred appears to be a highly reckless decision by the McGowan government. Uh, by way of explanation, we've got a, a, an Equal Opportunity Act in Western Australia and we have an Equal Opportunity Commission. Um, it appears highly improbable, highly improbable, uh, that the McGowan government have sought uh, proper, competent legal advice with regard to this newly invented policy. Uh, I imagine that uh, most Western Australians will be very concerned that this is the latest episode where the McGowan government seem to have thumbed their nose at the rule of law. We simply can't have a state government uh, that doesn't abide by the law of Western Australia. It certainly, you know, it, it seems to be the flavour of this decade, 2020, 2021, uh, that governments seem to thumb their nose at the rule of the law, at the rule of law, no matter what freedoms and, and liberties that we used to take for granted in a pluralistic liberal democracy uh, have been trampled over for a long time. And it seems the only thing to stop them is an election. What is there to actually stop the McGowan government from breaking the law? Look, as, as you know, um, in our uh, system of democracy, we have three very important institutions. We have the government, we have the parliament, and we have the courts, that is the judiciary. In Western Australia, we've got a city situation where we have a government that has total control of both chambers of parliament and uh, consistently uses uh, that power uh, to make parliament in impotent with respect to its oversight role of the government. So this is why the role of the court becomes so important. In Western Australia this week, we've just had a Supreme Court decision 
which has in effect confirmed that the McGowan government have broken the law of Western Australia more than 1,000 times uh, in a completely unrelated case to the one that we're talking about now. Now wow. we've got a situation where a government department has invented a policy saying that certain uh, individuals, for example, the Australian Christian Lobby, are not able to hire uh, one of its premises. Uh, now, you can understand, Dave, that uh, if it was the case that, uh, say, for instance, my party, the Liberal Party, we wanted to hire Labor Party headquarters to uh, have our uh, annual convention, uh, you can understand that the Labor Party would not want to have their premises rented yep. out for that purpose. Uh, if, if you imagine for a moment that you might have um, a local mosque uh, that doesn't want to have uh, the Catholic Church holding one of its services in the mosque, you can well understand that these are organisations, these are premises which have been expressly put together for political or religious reasons and are entitled to an exemption under the laws. That is not the case with regard to the Albany Entertainment Centre, which is run by the, by the um, uh, Perth Theatre Trust and ultimately is under the uh, care and responsibility of the relevant minister. So they've got a big issue here. Um, look, at the end of the day, this was a government that promised the gold standard of transparency. Now, if, if they are serious about their gold standard of transparency, they should have no problem whatsoever in releasing the advice that they have relied upon with respect to this policy. I suspect the advice doesn't exist, but let's test that. Why doesn't the McGowan government produce the advice uh, that confirms that what they have done is lawful. Uh, I think it's highly doubtful. I think they're in a um, world of pain at the moment. And as I say, this is hot on the heels of a Supreme Court decision only uh, a few days ago, which effectively confirms they've broken the law more than a thousand times. Now, I'm very loath to uh, to recommend or, or rush to recommending uh, intervention um, by the powers reserved to the governor. Um, but one of the reasons we have a governor or federally a governor general is because those final and absolute executive powers have to be reserved so that we don't have tin pot dictators uh, in, in our parliaments, um, trying to just rule by executive power and, and bypassing uh, the legislature and, and the courts. Uh, one of the reasons they reserve those powers is to stop unlawful, illegal uh, behaviour um, by the government. Do you think this is approaching that threshold? Uh, look, I don't think it is, Dave, because, you see, in this, in this particular instance, as I say, we have got an Equal Opportunity Act, we've got an Equal Opportunity Commission, there are a range of strong legal options available to the Australian, um, uh, the Australian Christian lobby in this instance. Um, so I am um, quietly confident that our existing system um, is strong enough to um, deal with this uh, dictatorial behaviour and uh, highly likely unlawful behaviour by the McGowan government. Um, so what I would encourage uh, those who are aggrieved um, to do is to pursue those particular legal options my understanding is that those things are actively being pursued. Um, but my concern, you see, Dave, is that every time that somebody takes an action against the McGowan government and they lose yet another court action, who pays for this? It's the taxpayers of Western Australia who keep paying for, the, for this incompetence. 
and it has to stop. And actually, an apology should be issued uh, by the Premier of Western Australia when he eventually comes back from holidays. Um, this this is totally unacceptable. And yep. um, it's one thing for people to make um, uh, mistakes in good faith. None of us are perfect. People make mistakes. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, they need to proceed carefully. They need to proceed competently. They need to rely on the advice. We're constantly told about how governments at the moment are relying on health advice with regard to everything to do with the pandemic. Well, this is no different. If you've relied on the advice, release the advice. We yep, can all let's be transparent. Lawfully, but I suspect that, that we will never see this advice. Well, I hope you're right. I hope uh, we're not at a point that uh, there needs to to be um, some uh, vice-regal intervention. Um, I, I hope the government can admit they made a mistake and apologise uh, because this is this is on the face of it. If the shoe was on the other foot, we know um, the supporters of the McGowan government would be jumping up and down. If if a liberal West Australian government banned GetUp from using publicly owned venues, and let's be clear, these aren't government-owned venues; they are publicly owned venues. Uh, the government is, is merely a trustee and. Uh, a steward of those assets on behalf of the people um, to alienate and censor um, half of, of the population because they hold views which disagree with the incumbent government um, is is unconscionable and undemocratic and un-Australian. So hopefully the, uh, Mark McGowan can pull his socks up and show a bit of leadership uh, and, and integrity in this situation. Well, um, think of it this way. We think of it this way, Dave. Are we allowed to have this conversation now? I mean, we don't. Ag I don't agree with what the government has done, and I'm right. expressing those views forcefully at the moment. I've been doing that for the last couple of days. I absolutely um, don't agree with the government breaking the law of Western Australia more than one thousand times, as the court has effectively determined in another matter earlier this week. Now, I'm entitled to say that. In fact, I've got a responsibility and duty as mm. a member of parliament to do so. Now, am I going to be censored? Am I going to be removed from my electorate office here because I don't hold the same views as the McGowan government? This is insanity, what is going on. It is not, as you say, uh, democratic. It is the kind of thing that we might expect to see in other parts of the world. Yeah. Um, it has to stop. They need to be held to account. And it starts with uh, taking responsibility and, and issuing an apology. Yeah, reasonable requests. Uh, Nick Goran, MLC, thank you very much for your time. No problems. Thanks, Dave. Really well said, Nick. Thank you very much. This is uh, dictatorship and hopefully it's just a bureaucrat who's overstepped their mark and uh, Mark McGowan will show some integrity and leadership, come back and set everything aright. Otherwise, I hope Martin Isles, the Australian Christian Lobby, uh, Peter Abetz, the, the State Director of ACL in Western Australia, uh, take this to the Equal Opportunity Commission because this is clear-cut discrimination against unapproved biblical, scriptural, political opinions. Uh, and these are protected um, categories for speech and participation in society. You know, the funny thing is that uh, if these LGBTIQAPX plus activists had have just uh, stayed in their sandbox, uh, then only the people who ACL represent and talk to would have heard about these ideas. They're certainly going to not stop anybody from thinking uh, thoughts which disagree with their toxic agenda. But what they have done is put the whole agenda and the whole conversation and the whole debate and discussion into the public arena, into the mainstream media, onto this channel, so we can talk about it all again and see the ridiculous characters who are calling everybody else intolerant while personifying intolerance 
So, I mean, these, these people are just illogical. This doesn't even make sense. These noisy activists and sadly, they're holding the whole state to ransom because of some public servants that have cowed in fear uh, to the woke intolerance of some radical leftists. I have to say thank you very much to the Good Source supporters who just faithfully give uh, week in, month in, month out, uh, just small amounts, $5, 10 $20 a month is, is the most common. And uh, without you, we couldn't do what we do. I couldn't say what I say. Uh, we're not reliant on big tech. We're on uh, Rumble and Telegram and, and, of course, the website, goodsource.news, is where you can find unapproved opinions. And uh, sadly, the West Australian government doesn't own my website, so uh, those noisy activists won't be able to shut it down half as quick as they can shut down a public event in a public venue. If you'd like to become a supporter, please head to goodsource.news and click on the donate button or just add the forward slash support to the web address, goodsource.news forward slash support. Uh, now, a few comments uh, in there um, during that interview uh, from you watching. Thank you. Please jump into the conversation, add your comments. Uh, there's people watching on a couple of different Facebook channels, a couple of different YouTube channels, wherever you are. Would you please share this with your friends uh, and invite people to join us and, and watch this and join the conversation so we can include you as well. But some of the comments were talking about Clive Palmer, which is a great uh, segue into a chance I got to have a chat with Clive Palmer at the football um, a week ago. Fantastic news. Uh, Raylene, what's her name, is irrelevant, gone from the scene. But Israel Folau, the target of her persecution for his unapproved scriptural quotations, uh, is back on the field. Let's have a look at this clip where, where I spoke to Clive Palmer. And again, this is just a very short part of the clip because some of the things that Clive Palmer had to say about that naughty word starting with the had to do with uh, things that would never be allowed on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, etc. So you'll only be able to see those on our Rumble channel and in the Good Source website. But here's the clip of things that won't be censored uh, talking about freedom. A bit of a, a victory, maybe a small one, but a victory for the good guys and for freedom. I think it is, and uh, that's it's much more than a rugby league game. It means that people can have freedom again and have hope that our country will be what it was always meant to be by our founders, free and independent, and people can live their lives and be free to make any comment they want to in this country. Freedom of speech is a very important thing that we fought for in World War II, and it's a, in our tradition, it underpins the rule of law in our constitution. And um, Israel Folau's battle is one that all Australians should support. After all, he's, all he's done is uh, quote a section of the Bible. That happens in every church across Australia every day. Right. I swear as a witness uh, when I go to uh, court on the Bible, I swear on the Bible when I'm elected as a member of Parliament. Certainly we shouldn't be ashamed of the Bible, we shouldn't be ashamed of people having different views. It's a great day for Muslims, for Jews, for Christians, for people of all faiths that we have religious freedom in this country to practice and worship whoever we want to, that we don't ostracise people because of their beliefs. And we have the best footballer in the world about to take the field in a half an hour. You'll see how good Israel is. And yes. why should he be denied the opportunity to support his wife and his family just to help a couple of lefties vindicate themselves? And the trouble with the left today in Australia is they're so, so, uh, much to uh, so much vicious against so many people that have a different point of view. Mm. And Australia is a democracy. We've got to protect and defend our democracy and not be afraid to stand up for what we believe as Australians and we've got to respect other people's points of view but we don't want to quash other people's points of view because that goes against our fundamental fabric of a nation. Just had to unmute my mic there but thanks uh, Clive Palmer that was a very good interview we'll see if we can't sit down with him for a longer interview sometime in in the future. Uh, now, listen, one of the things that I think is incredibly important is the free market and competition. I think the consumer will generally, maybe not always, but 99.997% of the time, going, the consumer is going to win when we just remove the rules, stopping people uh, 
entering into the transactions they want to without getting government in the road. Let's get government out of the road and just have a free market. Uh, what's bad, on the other hand, is a monopoly. Uh, and unions is one of those areas where monopolies are not good for the consumer, not good for the worker. Uh, the worker should be able to have a choice so that they can get actual service. So, for example, if you're a nurse, then your nurse's union, uh, labour-affiliated and heavily donating, generally speaking, is going to mimic and support labour policies and donate uh, portions of the money that they have, the profits that they have, to the Labour Party. Now, there is a new bunch of unions come out called redunion.com.au. Uh, they've got a nurses union, teachers union, transport workers unions. Uh, but the beautiful thing about this is if you don't agree with every single policy of the Labor Party, if you don't want the profits from your membership fees being donated to the Labor Party, if you want freedom of choice with your political donations, political campaigns, and only genuine professional support, from your union or professional association, then Red Union is the place that you should go. Make sure you let them know that we sent you. And when you sign up to sack your old labor supporting union, then you can use the, the coupon good source to save $25 off your first month's fees. But that's not where it's gonna stop because their standard pricing is hundreds of dollars every year cheaper uh, than the labor supporting alternative. And this union, the Red Unions, aren't Liberal Party supporting. They're just apolitical. They're nonpartisan. They don't support or donate to any particular campaign. They just support their workers. And that's the kind of union, if I had to be in a union, that I would want to be in. So to sign up for that, go to redunion.com.au and choose the union that best represents you, whether you're a nurse, a teacher, or a transport driver, and uh, make sure that you use the coupon GOODSOURCE to save another $25 off your first month's uh, membership fees, and uh, that way you'll let them know that we sent you, and they're a very great supporter. By the way, those are my genuine opinions. <laughs> I wouldn't be supporting a terrible union if they paid me. Uh, these people are bringing uh, fairness, they're defunding uh, politics and just letting unions be unions, uh, which I think is fantastic. So the Labor Party is very big on taking uh, builders' donations, developers' donations out of the political fight. I think fair's fair. We should be taking uh, union money out of the political landscape in Australia as well so we can have a level playing field for consumers and ideas. Well, another person that I spoke to today was Senator Malcolm Roberts. He's been driving from his office uh, in southeast Queensland, going far, far north, and uh, he's doing the work of a state senator, uh, a senator for Queensland uh, on the road. But I managed to uh, get a moment with him um, as he stopped to uh, talk to me in his car, and uh, we had a chat about a few of the topics, including the uh, ban on the Australian Christian Lobby in the uh, West Australian entertainment centres. But uh, most interesting was uh, Anthony Albanese's opinions that uh, he hasn't yet met an aged care worker who has any objections to the government dictating what they should uh, inject into their bodies. Have a look at this. On a road trip, uh, discovering and seeing, visiting more of the electorate of Queensland. Thank you so much for making time for us today. You're obviously very busy, pulled over on the side of the road somewhere. I'm in Cardwell, looking out across the uh, water to Hinchinbrook Island and cloudy clouds uh, hiding the, uh, the summits on Hinchinbrook, but it's beautiful. North Queensland is just stunning. Well, that'll be beautiful today and perfect tomorrow. Um, so I'm sure you're not <laughs> you're going to be there for the perfect if you just hang around a little bit longer. Uh, now, what I wanted to chat to you about is the uh, the opposition leader Anthony Albanese. Uh, according to him, he's spoken to hundreds and thousands of aged care workers, and not a single one of them has expressed any reticence or reluctance to be forced to be injected with the COVID-19 vaccinations that are available in Australia. Is he on the money? Is he actually meeting the people? Or are you hearing something different? 
we're hearing something quite different, completely different. In fact, Dave, um, we when when we heard of, that the prime minister was going to mandate the use the use of uh, injections, we were outraged. Uh, we got inundated with calls, with Facebook comments, emails. So what we did was we put a post out on our Facebook page and we said, we invited people to call us. We were swamped with people terrified of this, literally terrified of, of uh, having, an, having a, an injection from uh, one of these AstraZeneca or Pfizer uh, injections. And so we said, uh, we just listened to them. And after a while we had to turn the, we had to turn the uh, Facebook page off uh, or turn that post off. And the next day we put up again and said, please don't call us, just email us. And we have got a thousand emails and we got them very, very quick. And these people are not just saying we don't like it. They're, they're passionate about it. They're saying, look, I don't want to leave um, aged care facilities. I love the clients I'm working with, the residents. I absolutely love it. They need me here, but I'm pregnant and I'm not going to put up with this or I'm old already and I'm not going to put up with this or I'm just an everyday Australian and I'm not going to put up with this because I don't like the risks involved, Dave. And so we had a thousand emails in no time flat and they're, they're very, very strongly against it, passionate about it. So I don't know which world Anthony Albanese living in, but it's not Australia. He seems to be actively ignoring dissenting voices, uh, which is <laughs> which is is not uh, a great way to represent the, the entire nation, um, but maybe just one party. Um, tell me, what exact powers do the Commonwealth or the various states have? Uh, what's to stop them from forcing certain industries, if not everybody, to to be vaccinated? Well, let's, let's make it very clear before I answer that question. The Commonwealth government cannot mandate the use of injections, vaccines, whatever you want to call them. It cannot do that under mm -hmm. Section 51, Clause 23A. It just cannot do that. Uh, but the states can. Uh, Western Australia and Victoria already have legislation allowing those governments to, to mandate injections, mandate medical treatment. The other states, as I'm under, uh, as I understand it, and I've been advised by a barrister who's who taught constitutional law and knows the constitution, and he said the other states could enact legislation if they wanted to. There's nothing in the way of uh, federal legislation that can stop them at the moment. That's the first thing. So the states can do it; the federal government can't do it. So it's lawful, but it's not ethical. Mm. There is no way that anybody under any system can force injections into people. You cannot do that. It's against a fundamental human right to control what comes into my body. That's the first thing. So it's completely out. The second thing is that we must uh, only choose a, a medical treatment with informed consent. We have not been given information to enable an informed consent. In fact, the chief medical officer for this country, the federal chief medical officer, uh, told us in Canberra some months ago when they first started talking about these injections mm -hmm. that they would not disclose that injection hubs, whether, whether the hub was, was uh, using COVID, uh, AstraZeneca or Pfizer. Now, that itself is wrong yeah and so look at the mess we've got into i asked the chief medical officer the secretary or the head of the, the federal department of health and the head of the therapeutic goods administration i asked them several questions and these are the answers i got first of all can you guarantee that these injections these vaccines are 100 percent safe all refuse to guarantee it then I said to them, does it prevent people catching the virus if they have an injection? No, it does not. Does it pre prevent transmission of the virus? No, it does not. Will it eliminate the need for uh, restrictions of various forms, lockdowns and so on? Not sure, probably not. 
what is the impact on future generations? Don't know. What's the impact on pregnant women? Don't know. So we've asked these further questions. Generally, what's the impact on, on fathers-to-be who are wanting to father a child or mothers-to-be who are wanting to mother a child? And so they don't know. Now, I'm advised by my, my staff, one of my staffers, who is very, very good at research, understands the topic, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, from other work he's done. He said that these vaccines have been brought into the country by these foreign multinationals, and they have been accompanied by a piece of paper that says they've been tested in another country. They have not been tested in this country. What's more, he advises me, that these test papers that come in from overseas say quite clearly that the results in, in actual use in the community may be quite different from what the test results have, have said. Hmm. That's, that's, uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is that these uh, reproduct the female reproduction uh, system organs can be assessed using rats and they can go through because rats have such a, a, a rapid um, rapid reproduction cycle they can go through multi-generational studies very very quickly hmm. but they haven't done them overseas so if you're carrying a, a child who knows what will happen and that's why we've been particularly concerned with uh, pregnant mothers who've called in and said, we love working in aged care, but I'm not going to do it because I'm pregnant yep. and come to September, I'm leaving. So what we're seeing is the potential for a lot of people to leave aged care residents in the lurch because they do not want to be, um, they do not want to be vulnerable to this injection. You know, I've um, seen it raised quite often that COVID-19 is a highly survivable uh, virus. The Wuhan flu has uh, really great chances for most people. Um, what is it? 99.7% of, of mild cases wherever there is a case. And quite often you don't even know you've got it until you take a test to tell you you've got it. Uh, and when that's pointed out, some of the uh, counter view says, yes, but there are some long-term side effects of COVID-19 that uh, aren't good to live with and sh we should be really cautious about them. What I find ironic is that we then hear arguments that these short-term trials are all we need to know about the safety of these vaccines and the long-term consequences are suddenly not so important anymore. Um, I just wish there was a bit of consistency uh, in, in these things. For example, the amount of people that have died after having a vaccination, but not necessarily from the vaccination, seems to be a different standard to what we were hearing all <laughs> of last year, which was people who died with COVID, but not of COVID, and were nevertheless included in the fatality counts from COVID. You've nailed it. And and what, what we've also seen, we've seen the VAERS, I think it's called, um, the, the um, what do they call them, uh, not side effects, adverse effects of, of the vaccine in America, 9,000 deaths as of July the 7th, 1,000 miscarriages, 2,500, I think, 3,000 Bell's palsy, um, heart attacks in the thousands, uh, serious hospitalizations in the tens of thousands already. And I'm aware of a study that's been done by European researchers of the Israeli population, because I think Israel has had around about 80% vaccinated. It's, it's the highest proportion in the world. Mm. And they've studied people there, and they found that the death rates from COVID per 1,000 people, who, per 100,000 who've, who've, who've contracted, the, contracted the virus, contracted the virus, is roughly the same. It's very similar to those who every hundred thousand out of every hundred thousand who've been injected. So that's wow. just there's not much benefit in 
in, uh, in being vaccinated. But there's another thing, David. When we, when we passed the, um, the COVID measures for the government back in 2020, last year, we had the single day sitting. You might remember the emergency sessions. We had the single day sitting on Monday, the 23rd of March, 2020. And then the next one was single, another single day sitting on Wednesday, the 8th of April, 2020. What we saw leading up to that, uh, those single day sessions, was tens of thousands of reported deaths mm. from COVID. But were they from COVID or with COVID? We don't know. But the, regardless, we were facing a serious, um, serious catastrophe based upon foreign figures. When we passed that legislation, I basically said to the government in my speech in the Senate on both occasions, Look, you're the government. This looks like it's very serious. We will just wave everything through. We'll give you an open check, basically. Get on with the job. Because it's just like facing a war at that time. But I said on both occasions, I said, first of all, we want you to have the data. We don't expect the data immediately, but we want you to get the data. We want you to build a plan a solid detailed plan and we will hold you accountable now i started holding right. them accountable in either may or june certainly by june but what i also said in in april was that that we've had success with in vitro trials of ivermectin in this country in monash university in melbourne what are you doing about that now i can i can tell you this this is the first time in Western history, where a government has injected something lethal, potentially lethal, into healthy individuals, a vaccine. Hmm. But it's also the first time that a government has consciously ignored a proven, safe, affordable treatment for a disease that can cure people with the disease. Exactly. We right. know now not only that it works in in vitro trials in Monash University, but we know that there are 40 to 50 papers, medical, peer-reviewed, scientific papers, prove, claiming ivermectin's use as a treatment for COVID. We know that in, in countries and in states in India where it's been used, it's been overwhelmingly successful in treating COVID and curing people very, very quickly. We also know that it's a prophylactic. It's proven in South American countries uh, and I believe in Indian countries. So we know from the science, we know from the medical literature. We also know from practice, from actual practice in, in communities with millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, that it works. And yet our federal government will not authorise ivermectin's use. Uh, Senator Roberts, I've got to let you get back on the road so you're not late for uh, you. your constituents a bit further north. But just quickly, uh, what's happening in the West Australian regime? Mark McGowan has told the Australian Christian lobby that they may not hold their incredibly popular sold-out events in that state because they are political opinions which disagree with the government's opinions. Now, you and I sat side by side at the first event at uh, the Brisbane Town Hall with Marta Niles and the Australian Christian Lobby. Uh, tell me, did you hear any dangerous ideas of sedition or hate or, or you know, gross despicable attitudes towards fellow human beings in those meetings? No, I did not. What I heard was the complete opposite. I thoroughly enjoyed the evening, as did my wife and one of my staffers who joined us. I heard person talking about love and preaching love, talking about freedom and preaching freedom. I heard about trust and the need for trust. I heard about someone who wants to restore honesty to governance in this country. That's what I heard. Now, if you're a totalitarian dictatorship like China or the Nazis, or like Mark McGowan's government in Western Australia, then you would be terrified of the words love, freedom and trust and truth. You would be terrified of it. And that tells you everything we need to know. 
this these people in Western Australia are wanting to shut down dissent. And what we've got is a, reportedly some gay and trans activists complain to the state government. The state government then saying Martin Isles' message disagrees with the views of the state government and the majority of Western Australians. How bloody ridiculous is that? That is an absurd claim because, first of all, the Western Australian government wouldn't know what Martin Isles, what, what people in Western Australia think about Martin Isles and his message of love and freedom and truth and trust. But secondly, even if it was disagreeable to most Western Australians, we still need to entertain people who disagree with us so that mm. we can form a better opinion, a stronger opinion, whether it's modified slightly or reinforced strongly or, or countered. That's yep. the critical thing. The yep. free debate and religious freedom is absolutely essential in this democracy. And what an incredibly convenient excuse to be able to throw out for an incumbent government on political opinions that they want to censor, that they merely need to claim they know what the majority of citizens think and are therefore entitled to represent or misrepresent the reality, but with the same result of censoring dissenting political opinions. Uh, I mean, have they not heard of a of society in all of world history? I can hear that. Where yeah. the majority oh, right. had an idea which was wrong. I mean, Ex the exactly the ignorance we, we, is astounding. Yes, exactly. Sometimes it's the minority minority view or idea or concept that bubbles to the top, and then everyone takes it up and what he's doing is suppressing human progress suppressing human advancement and suppressing a free society mm. but there's something else i can't say it any better than what you just said so let me just add this before we wind up dave and that is that wherever you see censorship it is control and wherever there is control always beneath control there is fear so what exactly do trans and, and gay groups in Western Australia fear from love, freedom, truth and trust and honesty. And what exactly does Mark McGowan's Labor government in Western Australia fear from love, truth, freedom, honesty? Senator Malcolm Roberts, thank you very much for your time on Pello Talk today and uh, happy travelling. Always, always a pleasure, David, and good luck. And thank you very much for what you're doing. Uh, what a great man. I'm liking him more and more. He's uh, I've known him for a long time since before he was elected and uh, he's just talking more and more sense. And, of course, he's making all the right enemies in Australian politics. Listen, just another word about our sponsor, Red Union. Uh, you might not be a nurse or a teacher, but I'm pretty sure you might know a nurse or a teacher. And if you know a nurse or a teacher who doesn't like their perhaps necessary union membership supporting the Labor Party and the Labor Party policies and platforms, as well as financially, then would you please help us defund the Labor Party and strongly recommend to your nurse and teacher friends that they have a look at redunion.com.au with the very, very primary benefit of saving hundreds of dollars a year. And if they use the coupon Good Source, uh, then that'll help us. That'll help our sponsor to look after the Good Source and keep us doing the work that we're doing. But it will also help uh, them, your friends, to get $25 off their first month fee there. So that's uh, redunion.com.au with the coupon Good Source. Now, something else I want to mention to you is that uh, we've got the church and state videos from February this year, and they've just been so topical and hot for the whole year. This is a year where freedom is under assault, and we really need to be interested and involved in what's going on. Now, if you're not a Christian, there may be one or two or half a dozen videos in the uh, summit which are absolutely still very, very good for you. 
And uh, you can now get those videos individually for just $5, or you can get all 14 of those videos for just $30. So I want you to head to churchandstate.com.au, have a look at uh, some of the videos that are there and the overall speakers. Uh, very, very good. Of course, Martin Isles was there. And uh, I think one of the best reasons to have a look at those videos is just to figure out exactly what was getting under the saddle of the Noosa Temple of Satan, the uh, homosexual journalists at Sydney Morning Herald, and the Christian news website, Eternity News, when they were uh, describing the summit as basically a seething hotbed of racists and insurrectionists trying to overthrow violently the Australian government. Uh, well, the content is fully there entirely unedited uh, in the content. Maybe the, the beginning and the end is trimmed off just to be nice and tidy. Uh, but I'd love to see exactly which parts of that were uh, as described by those three strange bedfellows. Anyway, uh, head to churchandstate.com.au, grab those videos. But here's the trailer for one of those topics which everybody should be interested in. Dr. Stephen Shuvura presenting on critical race theory. How crazy was 2020? Uh, not the least because of those Black Lives Matter protests and riots held in the US, but also throughout Europe, which destroyed so much property, even resulted in dozens of deaths. Hi, I'm Steve Shavura, and I'm inviting you to the Church and State Summit on the 26th and 27th of February. There was a philosophy behind the Black Lives Matter movement, and that philosophy is called critical race theory and it's becoming increasingly influential not just in America but also in Australia. But how should a Christian think about critical race theory? I mean what is critical race theory? Well it's kind of the idea that basically racism is everywhere and a lot of the time you can't actually see it and so you need experts to be able to show it to you, experts called critical race theorists. But how plausible is this theory? I want to unpack all of that and analyze critical race theory through a Christian biblical worldview. Not just that, I want to have a look at the impact of critical race theory in Oz and figure out how you can recognize it and what we can do about it. This, this conference is going to be fantastic because it gives everyone an insight into where culture is at the moment and where culture is heading, not just in Australia but around the West world through a Christian view. We've got some of Australia's top speakers. Really looking forward to seeing you there. The Church and State Summit on the 26th and 27th of February in Brisbane. See you there. Well, that's look a fantastic video. And that one video alone, I would really like to go viral. If you know anybody who can't afford the $5 to own that video, but they want to watch it, please send me an email. I would gladly donate it to anybody who can't afford the $5. And of course, the, the uh, proceeds from those videos just help uh, contribute to uh, the work that we're doing all the time, as well as putting the next summit on in 2022. Make sure you save that date last weekend in February in 2022 in uh, Brisbane. We've got some big announcements coming up with that. Uh, but yeah, make sure you get a hold of that video. Get them all if you can, but definitely get Stephen Shavura's Critical Race Theory video. Uh, that will be fantastic. Look, let's have a, uh, as we uh, head towards the top of the hour, head to the article uh, about um, Ash Barty winning Wimbledon. Fantastic result from her winning Wimbledon um, this year. And it struck me just what a nice person she is and uh, how likeable she is. She's so humble and uh, just unassuming and unelitist with her attitudes. And I reckon one of the secrets to that is we don't know anything about her politics. Uh, she lets sport be sport and everybody who's watching it can enjoy it without feeling like she's against them. Uh, and, and maybe if she took a position on some controversial issues, only half the people would feel like she's against them, but that's still half the people. And so I'm just sick, and we're all sick of divisive, woke-divist athletes like the Australian cricket team. Uh, let's have a look at this article. The open secret Ash Barty knows, but the Australian cricket team doesn't. 
Ash Barty has a secret which endears her, win or lose to nearly every person in Australia. Too few athletes can navigate the temptations of the pedestals lent them by their sporting prowess with this simple wisdom as deftly as Ash Barty wields her racket. Ash Barty never tells probing journalists what her politics are and doesn't lend her name or influence to any divisive agenda. She might subscribe to woke notions of systemic racism with little resistance to prevailing popular narratives, or she might have deeply held convictions about the equal opportunities every Indigenous kid has to rise to the highest heights, regardless of the perceived privilege of many, many more non-Indigenous kids. They really can outperform along the way, like Ash Barty did. She might. We don't know because she doesn't say, and that's the open secret every athlete should live by. Contrast the endearing humility of Ash Barty with the repellent hostility of Liz Cambage, who threatened to boycott the opportunity to represent Australia at the Tokyo Olympics because of her toxic delusions about Australia's systemic racism. I ran a poll on Twitter, which had over one and a half thousand responses, and ten times the amount of people would rather spend time with Ash Barty than Liz Cambage, uh, an Olympic athlete in basketball. And if you haven't heard of her, that's a good thing. But she was the one who said she wanted to boycott the Olympics because there weren't enough non-white people in the Olympic uniform photo uh, fighting the important issues. Liz, good on you. The article continues. Sport is sport. Profound, I know. But statements of the obvious aside, that's apparently too complex a truth for far too many egotistical athletes who presume to be entitled to lecture us from their temporary pedestal in the spotlight. The Olympics has had a very long history of separating sport from politics with strict bans. Sport should unite us all despite our political differences when our team or player competes against another nation. We should only be able to see Australians in the arena fighting for the pride of us all. We should never see, instead of an Australian, someone who represents the debates which divide us. It makes it far too easy for half the nation to deeply re resent the athlete battling for our national glory if they allow their positions on divisive issues to become part of their brand. Part of the secret Ash Barty knows is if you give the lying harlot media even an inch of a glimpse into your political leanings, they will take a mile and make you a poster child or a whipping boy for their agenda. Just ask Margaret Court. Of course, her platform to preach is now quite legitimate as a very successful church pastor. But that reality doesn't stop the sensationalists from weaving it poisonously into her entirely separate sporting conquests on behalf of a once grateful nation. The Australian cricket team operates with complete ignorance on how to wield their profile and platform. In complete lack of humility, they're starting to arrogantly display their complete contempt for every Australian and Australian value when they kneel impotently in protest against alleged racial discrimination. Not helping. I don't know if it's a waste of writing to pour contempt on the Black Lives Matter Inc. agenda. I hardly fathom how the Australian cricket team, let alone my followers, don't already understand the depth and breadth of criticisms of the politics they're promoting as official representatives of the nation. This single action of theirs is not only completely unproductive and without any redeeming positive effect or influence, it serves to infuriate at least half of the fans and supporters they would want to be counting on by supporting the most toxic agenda to take various forms since the 1917 Bolshevik Revolution, Marxism. Even if they have considered the credible criticism and thoughtfully disagree, how dare they so disrespect the privilege of a place in the national team by grossly politicising it with any divisive, polarised issue. Ash Barty could be a role model for the Australian cricketers, their coach and support staff, because she doesn't lecture Australians ignorantly and divisively about the alleged systemic racism of the Australian flag, anthem or constitution, Australia Day or black deaths in custody. What she does do is actually goes to remote communities and she shines for them, up close and personal. She shares the unifying joy of sport and encourages children there to play tennis. Aboriginal Linda Burney wrote about this two years ago and how Barty, the year before, offered a 1,000 children in remote parts of the Northern Territory lessons for young Indigenous people in fields beyond sport, discipline, persistence, unity, strength and dignity. 
not achieved by taking a knee. And she doesn't do this service for the cameras. In fact, she bans the media from coming along. She sincerely wants to make a positive difference to real problems. That's the Ashbardi secret, an endearing, genuine humility without a hint of virtue signalling, and that attracts people to cheer her on, grateful for the unpolluted distraction from polarising politics. Ashbardi enables us to just enjoy sport again, especially when she wins. If other athletes want to make a real difference in areas of need in Australia and they're not just hollow virtue signals, sig signalers, her way, Ashbardi's way, it's the only way they should be doing it, away from the cameras, away from contentious polarising issues and without any repelling pretense of moral superiority. That's the stuff that just sticks in the craw. If an athlete wants to be a politician, pastor or pundit, they should make that choice now and stop wrecking the necessary recreation of sport or wait patiently until their sporting career is over and someone else is representing us all. What comments do we have there? Destruction to the Georgia Guidestones. I don't know what that means, Michael Grizzly, but welcome to the conversation. Uh, look, final article for the night. We're going to have a uh, quick read of uh, Alexandra Marshall's uh, most popular article this week, covid is smarter than most millennials. COVID is a clever little thing. For something that struggles to meet the definition of a life form, the lab-grown virus certainly manages to show a great deal of discretion when it comes to where and where it strikes. Most viruses are savages. Unkempt, they wander the earth, attacking everything they come across. Those lacking decorum hitchhike on rats and mosquitoes, debasing themselves and denigrating the entire ancient lineage. But not COVID. COVID is the Dior of the viral world, doing the rounds, champagne flute in hand, at high-class affairs like the G7 summit. Like Sylvester Stallone, COVID has had so much work done that not even its Wuhan parents recognise the latest Delta variant. The love em and leave em strain has been more popular than its younger years as a culturally insensitive, travel-addicted racist. Lesson learned, you can be deadly but never offensive. Everyone is happy now that all COVID mood swings are named after Greek letters. The Greeks have been picked on since the Roman Empire, so they're hardly likely to kick up a fuss. Actually, the key to being a good virus in 2021 seems to be the ability to obey a complex, inconsistent, contradictory and arbitrary web of regulations. Having perused behaviour of humans and consulted with its communist gods, COVID has decided to comply with state-enforced curfews in order to reinforce the important message of the greater good. Through its actions, you have to say that breathlessly, through its actions, it will be possible to bring all of humanity together under one benevolent global bureaucracy. Honestly, we don't deserve such selfless devotion. No one is saying that COVID is the next saviour, but it has definitely got a little global cult going on the side. Between the Fauci limited, limited edition merchandise and the initiation arm selfie rights, there's a lot to get excited about. As a spiritual leader, COVID does its best to observe the rules of the religion. If residents of Sydney and Melbourne are out walking in their neighbourhood within a 10-kilometre radius of their homes and before an arbitrary time set by the Premier, COVID will respectfully wait. Like communism's drooling guard dog, COVID will only attack those residents who break the rules or like Facebook posts that suggest that they might break the rules at a later date. In addition to COVID's impeccable timekeeping skills, seen as evidence of its inherent white supremacy by some, COVID has a preference for victims who stand while holding their drinks. As a consequence, COVID wanders through Australia's pubs, hanging out at the bar where it latches onto anyone selfish enough to stand for more than a few moments after being handed their beverage. The only way to be free of COVID's clingy girlfriend behaviour is to take a seat. Sticky tables shared by the wider peasantry puts the virus off. There's nothing less appetising than a diseased, seated human. Besides, the human species is known to be at its most attractive when vertical, not scoffing food or morbidly intoxicated. COVID is partial to a bit of politics. According to its handlers in the government, COVID has been a frequent attendee at protests involving liberty, freedom or even events of national significance. It is so fond of Anzac Day that should the event ever be allowed to go ahead in the future, COVID has vowed to leap between the cockpits of fighter jets and parachute down, crowd surfing its way through the celebration. 
That said, it has never been spotted at a Black Lives Matter climate change or Me Too rally. There's just something about Marxism that puts it off. Perhaps traumatic memories from its country of birth. There has been no concrete evidence published on why COVID attends some conservative rallies and not leftist others. Those in the government tasked with keeping an eye on COVID recently observed that its interests have expanded into the retail sector. The virus now has the ability not only to differentiate between family businesses and big businesses, it can also tell which items are essential and non-essential inside the same shop. This incredible skill exists despite the government failing to publish an official definition of the word essential. Aside from clarification this week, that shoes are most certainly not essential. This level of retail prowess officially makes COVID smarter than most millennials who, when asked to make their own sandwiches, either have to phone their mothers or phone an Uber slave to deliver one. Remember, if your non-essential purchase arrives via a series of third-party people who then interact with hundreds of strangers throughout the day, everything is safe. If you buy your essential purchases yourself and speak to no one except a lonely pigeon, well, that's just asking for it. That's not to say COVID is a predator per se. It's simply misunderstood. While some health officials remain alarmed by COVID attacking obedient citizens who have triple masked and had the mandated two jabs, the virus never agreed in writing the final number of required boosters to ensure that it swipes left on the offering. The thing is, COVID is only a tease. It is the shaky, barely competent warm-up act singing off-key, waiting for civilization to take its seat. When the main show takes the stage, COVID will fade into obscurity with the rest of its sniffling friends. Brilliant. Well, that pretty much brings us to the end of Pello Talk uh, episode 54. I think I only started counting um, July last year. Um, so we're doing fairly well, I think. And uh, thank you for watching. It's been a fantastic uh, to have you along. Make sure you go to the website, goodsource.news, and, uh, and subscribe to newsletters there. That's where you're going to find the latest newsletters, the uh, Not Safe for Big Tech uh, clips from Clive Palmer. And uh, we're also going to be able to give you the opportunity to become a Good Source supporter. Don't forget, we need your support to keep this going. We're not funded like the ABC. This is truly a free market experiment and uh, hopefully the market's big enough to uh, help you push us along. We'll see you on the internet, uh, but that's it for this week. Thank you for your comments and we will see you later. Today, we need a special kind of courage, not the kind needed in battle, but a kind which makes us stand up for everything that we know is right, everything that is true and honest. We need the kind of courage that can withstand the subtle corruption of the cynics so that we can show the world that we are not afraid of the future.